When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Conrads, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Rockney. Thanks. Fabulous. Friends of the Rockney Cats, you are in for a really good treat. Dave Conrads is one of the participants of the Iowa Raptors Project um, at the University of Iowa. And in particular, he has been intimately involved with this new tradition that's emerging at the University of Iowa relating to Hercules the Hawk. I have not actually seen Hercules the Hawk actually fly, but Hercules the Hawk at one of the last football games at the University of Iowa actually flew onto the field. And I understand that's one of the first times that Hercules has has flown on the field. And so Dave and I are going to talk about who Dave Conrads is, how he got involved into this Iowa Raptors project what his interest in, in hawks and raptors, how that originally um, arose. Um, the concept, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the concept of Dharma. Dave apparently has found his passion skill and he has met a need with it, both in terms of what he does on Sunday and what he does during the rest of the week. Um, so we're gonna cover a lot of different topics. So I'm just so grateful that he could appear with us this morning here bright and early. He even got up at 6, at 6.58 in the morning here um, for the Rocky Cats. And, really, and he has a personal friend too, so let's just put that aside. I, I do know Dave, and um, I think he does a lot of really great work, and I'm a huge Dave Conrad's fan. So, um, but I'm interviewing you, and this is not about Rocky Cole, so let's go ahead and get started and talk about who is Dave Conrad's, and how did he get connected to the Iowa Raptors project. Yeah, well, thanks, Rockney. That's a that's a that's a huge question. That's a lifelong question. Who am I? Why am I here? I think I heard that once in the vice presidential uh, debate. Um, oh, by the way, Admiral Stockdale was a Stoic, and so if you know his Stoicism, that makes a lot of sense. But that is another podcast. So, yes, without further ado, get started. Who who is Dave Conrad, and how the heck did you get here? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so yeah, just a native Iowan. Uh, um, you know, first few years of my life uh, lived in the east side of Waterloo. Um, my parents then moved to Cedar Falls and kind of grew up in Waterloo, Cedar Falls area. Um, really didn't have any uh, outdoor background in, or interest. I mean, my I kind of joke like my my outdoor interests were. Uh, you know, playing pickup ball at Burns Park in Waterloo whenever I could. You know. Um, and uh, I went to Central College uh, for undergrad and um, uh, was pre-med. It wasn't really thriving. And there was a biology professor who kept walking through the Vermeer Science Center lab uh, during chemistry labs. And he, he, uh, he'd say, you need to get out of the stuffy lab, get out in the field. Kept hounding me with it. And the, the end of my junior year at Central, um, I was not going, I was not going to end up in med school. I can tell you that with my grades or my passion. And I took his course in field vertebrate natural history. Um, and uh, it was like an eye opener. Our first lab um, was 
birding along Lake Red Rock. And that was a whole new gig for me. And we ended up at the Whitebreast uh, boat ramp uh, on the south side of Lake Red Rock in is mid-March of 1986. Put a telescope out to these birds sitting around a hole in the ice, um, looked like a bunch of crows. And they were all bald eagles. Again, if you're a native Iowan, you know, in 1986, you didn't see that. And my eyes were just really open. And then I remember this um, professor, his name was John Bowles. Uh, he literally wrote the book on the mammals of Iowa uh, for his PhD. And he said, um, Dave, you don't have to be a doctor. And that was like, man, that I was going to just go field biology. So, you know, made the call home. Dad's like, follow your passion. Mom's like, can you, can you get a job doing that? You know, practical stuff. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I uh, ended up going to UNI for grad school and uh, did, uh, was invited by a former classmate of mine named John Stravers uh, from Central. Um, he had gotten some money to do a study of hawk migration along the Mississippi River and asked me if I wanted to uh, help him with that, or we trap and ban migrating hawks and actually get paid for it. I'm like, are you kidding me? So that's how it really began. That was the fall of 1987. Um, then while in grad school at UNI, I did a lot of research on the nesting ecology of the Cooper's hawk in Iowa, which um, was on the state list at the time. And then um, uh, when I finished all of my grad work, the job opening for the McBride Raptor Center was the name of it at the time. Uh, that came open. And um, there's a lot of stuff in between that kind of got me there, but I ended up getting an interview with here at the university and then was hired as a pretty green 25-year-old uh, to oversee the Raptor Center and then all the environmental ed programming that was happening at the university's McBride Nature Recreation Area. Um, so that was kind of the background. So I got here in 1990. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I don't know how much you want to know about well, that. Kind well, of no, I, I, I love this. And let's just sort of make a little bit of an aside. Um, there's the interest in raptors. But one of the things I'm really interested, you know, you and I both come from a Christian perspective. And there's yeah. this concept of calling, you know, and I really dove down also well into, into the Stoics and the question of what, what is your purpose? Yeah. What is your nature? And the second thing is, is that um, when you, when you're not in align with your nature, you get sick. And I think that, you know, that discussion you had with your parents, we'll just do a brief sort of detour. You know, we're also good friends with Kevin Riceland. And yeah. I think Kevin and I have a little bit of ADHD, so we can have a little bit of, you know, we can sure. have a little bit of detour, but um, this concept of you came to a moment in your college education where you were going to do consider well is it practical or can i get a job yeah. and so many young people and i think this is also going to be for a young person as they figure out what what they're going to do with their life do they go with their heart or do they go with what an external thing was well you ultimately went with your heart and have been able to make a career out of it and i'm encouraging you dave I think you got to write a book about this Hercules because this is so interesting. Um, just a little detour there. You went with your heart and you got a job. So yeah. Conrad's mom, he got a job. He did it. <laughs> um, just elaborate a little bit on that. Just going with your gut and, and just getting that sense of alignment and purpose. Um, and then ultimately, we, we haven't mentioned this, but you also serve as a, as a pastor on the weekend. So it's, it's a very nice fusing of the natural world, your spiritual world, and finding your purpose in terms of serving others through Raptors, um, which I think yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, so it was really, 
you're right. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home, right? Me, no mm -hmm. doubt about it. Um, but uh, and I would have I would have said I was a Christian, um, but it really wasn't until 1993 um, kind of had a, a real, I guess, a you know, what might be called a spiritual awakening uh, where um, it kind of I, I was attending a church with a, a friend who was an atheist, um, just kind of trying to figure things out. And um, and I remember uh, for me, uh, you know, just the whole um this idea of Jesus as Lord, um, mm -hmm. as really master, as rabbi, uh, the, the true rabbi. Um, and uh, I realized that I wasn't really a Christian. I mean, I was mm -hmm. a Christian in, in um, you know, in word, but not in, certainly in deed. And um, so it was uh, actually um, in February 93, where um, I, uh, I began to really follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the, the only way to put it. And um, so that, that then also changed my work because now, um, I mean, even though, so we had started, um, it, it was kind of funny, little sidebar here, 1991, in that winter, my boss at the time, the guy who had hired me said, I want you to start a nature camp for kids. And I'd never done that. I taught, you know, at UNI grad school level, like as a TA, and then also at Kirkwood as an adjunct and to do a nature, you know, wildlife well, at first I thought nature camps, little bland, let's call it wildlife camp. Um, and so that began in, in 91, summer 91. And those began to grow, very, got really popular. But and th some of the issues that I was wrestling with, though, in 93, where I, here I am, Rockney, I'm doing what I love to do. I'm excited about it. But there, but it, but there was a, a big missing hole, and that was my soul. I mean, it was mm -hmm. like, um, you know, my passions, my emotions, my effort. And energy was all into it, but there was a piece missing. And that was then for me, the turning point in my life. Um, we all wrestle with selfishness. We all wrestle with ego. We all wrestle with pride and all that thing stuff. And, um, and I, that for me was a real turning point to begin to look at, you know, we know that when, when you follow Jesus, you're following the suffering servant. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I say all this real, you know, with, looking back with how many times I've still, I still fail at, at yeah. living a self-sacrificing life rather than a selfish life. And, um, but anyway, that still was a turning point for me. And anybody who knows me um, well enough would know like, yeah, there was definitely some change, you know, a lot less of, yeah, there's a change. But then so what a gift that you're able to find your purpose, do what you're really put on this earth to do. And now to bring so many smiles and joys through this raptor, I, I think it's just is, is, is incredible. <laughs> yeah, so it's been really it's been really fun to see that all that stuff kind of grow. And, and um, I, I think you knew this. Like in 2000, I left to go to seminary. Actually, so um, I'd gotten the School of the Wild program up and going. That was my so wildlife camps was my first child. <laughs> School of the Wild, my second child as a bachelor. Could pour all this t time and energy into it, and then left to go to seminary um in 2000 and came back and that's when we uh, my wife I met her at seminary she's from West Michigan and uh, we ended up uh, planting is the terminology uh, this particular church um, but then you know uh, in 2013 um, uh, started was asked by the university um, you know to consider coming back full-time to oversee the programs that that I started for them and plus the Raptor project and um, so that 
that was kind of like my second career, my second stint here um, with the university. And so the, the Raptors are, you know, we built everything on them, you know, like Raptors for us serve as icons, yes. kind of the symbols, you know, symbols of the habitats that are so endangered or threatened in Iowa. You know, I mean, we had the most amazing tall grass prairie in the state, and there's just a just a tiny little bit that's still around that's unplowed and, and native, and that's usually on bad, you know, steep hillsides or places that couldn't be plowed. Yeah, um, wetlands, ninety eight percent were drained, and woodlands, I think, you know, I, the numbers could be off here, but like seventy five percent of our original woodlands have been dropped. So we have the most altered state um and uh so these raptors serve as icons to to remind people of the the wild we still have left and how important it is to conserve that yeah no and i think what i love about what you're doing and first off you talked about this is your passion well i just interviewed i hope you get a chance to listen to joe blair's interview that i did he's this fabulous writer he reminds us in his book passion of course his passion is being a writer that the concept of a passion is comes from the Latin of passionum, which means to suffer or endure. Yep. Yep. And of course, like the passion of the Christ or, or these sorts of things, that this is something where it is just sort of like this thing that you have to do. And I'm sure there's probably been some moments of stress with it, but I think that's just a really interesting concept that it's not all dandy all the time. Right. Then you're able to then bring so much joy and educate and support the football team and support the Hawks with this Hercules, the Hawk. So that was the original interest I have um, in interviewing you. And I think a lot of Hawk fans hopefully will get a little bit of interest into the backstory. So take us to the present moment. How did, how did you get, what, what was the genesis of getting Hercules? First of all, who the heck is Hercules? Right. And, and how did he get connected to actual football games? Because I was actually surprised that, that, w- that we didn't have this. Apparently you've done some research and there may have been some live Hawks, but take us back. Like how, how did Hercules get connected to Iowa football and actually being on the field? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when I was hired in 1990, the guy who hired me, Warren Slayboss, I mean, he had said that way back when, like, we need to get this, we need to capitalize on this. Like what a great way to, to bring attention to the work we're doing at the Raptor project. Um, but it never really, you know, it never came, you know, athletics have never approached us. We never really went to them. Um, there, there is, uh, and we just never really had, you know, folks in place that would really even uh, probably want to do that or be gifted at doing that. I think having a bird on the glove is one thing, but we, we didn't want at all and still don't these birds to be viewed as mascots, Yes, you know, because uh, it's herky is the mascot that's a caricature it's that's herky and that's all fine and good but when we have a a raptor ambassador and we've used that that terminology forever that they're ambassadors or icons for a conservation message we wanted to make sure that they weren't viewed as um as a mascot and uh so so anyway um a few years ago uh Charlie Taylor, who was with athletics, kind of began discussions um, when we had um, Sean Hawks was the director back then. And Sean had done a lot of live bird programming in his past. Um, 
through the World Bird Sanctuary in St. Louis and had done work at Bush Gardens. So he is familiar with doing, you know, using birds in programs to, you know, um, flighted birds in programs. We've always done birds on the glove. That's nothing new. Um, and we just kind of were chit-chatting about that with, with uh, athletics, um, but uh, um, it just wasn't, it just didn't come together. And then, uh, then we had um, the pandemic. Sean left, uh, had to hire a new director for the Raptor Project. And, um, and that's when, that's really when, the, you know, the magic kind of happened where Ryan Anthony, um, who was working as a biologist for Fish and Wildlife Service out of the Quad Cities, and he's a master falconer, along with his wife, Holly, she's also a master falconer. Um, a, a friendship had formed, uh, we had met through a mutual friend, and, um, uh, and when Sean left, um, Ryan had applied for this job, and and interviewed for it and and he was the right fit so we had and then so not only did we get ryan but then holly was um we have a nice relationship with kirkwood uh community college where they support a 20-hour position uh, for an assistant director and so they they actually hired holly to serve in that role so now we have not just one master falconer but two master falconers on staff which we've never had before wow um and so those are all pieces that are coming together. Um, and then uh, um, and then we were approached uh, by Kelsey from uh, Athletics uh, to, to be again, begin this discussion, like what would it take to bring a bird uh, to, um, to, the, to, to a game and to, to, to use um, that venue as a way to promote conservation of raptors and all the the, um, the habitats that they uh, you know represent. Um, so that was this that was the summer and it, it happened really fast. And uh, I think you know in our pre visit uh, before the podcast here, uh, you know we talked about um, you know all the different pieces of the university that have to come together to to give the the go ahead to move to move forward with it. So risk management's involved, IACUC's involved, um, all of these things, and and making sure that what we're doing um, brings no harm. Yeah. And uh, so that so and we were confident in that. Um, and so, but the first football game, uh, we brought in this. So athletics calls it the Raptor Ambassador Program. So did so, Coach Ferentz have to actually authorize it too with Ian on the committee and the planning? I don't know. I, I'm sure they okay. I'm sure they ran it past them. Um, yeah. But we never had I never asked and we never, you know, who was who had to give approval for all of that. Um, oh. But uh, I do don't you know, it had to go obviously through their upper yeah. administration and all that. And I'm yep. sure the coaches had to be, you know, let them know about it. But yeah. um, they're more, you know, they're Win I think games. for coaches. Yeah, I think for That's coaches. Like, yeah, their focus is like, as long as it doesn't mess with our, you know, pregame of we're doing and getting, as long as it doesn't mess with the game, I'm sure that's what, if I'm a coach, that's all I'm thinking, like yeah. do whatever you do, just don't mess with our game plan. Yeah. So the first few games we had birds on the glove and then we've been training with, um, so this whole notion of Hercules that we had mentioned, Rockney, I think in the fifties and sixties, there are images of a red, a live red tailed hawk that was coming to games at Kinnick. Um, we still need to do some work on that backstory. I'd love to hear like how many of those 
red tails were used, who was the caretaker of it, how did that all work? Um, but we did see a caption where it described the bird as Hercules, and that's where Herky comes from. A lot of people don't know that, but it's short yeah. for Hercules. Um, so we named, um, we, we've got two red-tailed hawks that were bred in captivity for falconry purposes. They're not, they're not from the wild. Mm -hmm. um, the one that we have been most working with is what we call her Hercules II. It's a female. Um, I jokingly call her Hercules. Um, <laughs> not him. Uh, yeah, his Achilles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, she's a dark morph red tail, which means she's just a dark chocolate brown. And then mm -hmm. uh, Hercules three is a male um, that's just been on the glove. We haven't really flown him at all. And he's um, what we might call an intermediate morph. And when they, when they become full adults, you'll see that full coloration. It's pretty cool. We in Iowa are used to, we, you will see, and I've trapped and banded and released, um, you know, different color morphs of red tails. Uh, but the common red tail in Iowa is the Eastern subspecies, which is very white or cream colored in the upper chest. When you're driving down the highway and you see a hawk with just white upper chest, you know, it's pretty much going to be a red-tailed hawk. You don't even have to see the tail to know that that's what it is. But this, these birds are, are dark morphs um, and really beautiful birds. So, yeah, so we began training uh, Hercules II in flying. Um, so we fly her from the fourth floor uh, Learfield box to a lure in the middle of the field. Um, and, you know, she's just been fantastic and just kind of recognizing she sees that lure it triggers her what she's made what she's made for and that's to hunt and capture and then she'll just make a stoop right out of that box and head right to the right to the floor of the stadium and so last Saturday was the first time um, a hawk has ever been flown at Kinnick uh, in front of you know a crowd and and that's something you can't you can't mimic I mean in all of our training we you know how you can't mimic 70,000 people in the stadium and that bird um there, there was no hesitation it knew exactly what it wanted and where it was going it could have flown away and that's how it is with falconry it could fly away we do have radio transmitters on it but uh there's so much trust that's already developed between falconer and hawk that it knew right what it wanted to do and and it was great it was pretty amazing and i must say it was like a lot of goosebumps in seeing that bird do what that bird does we had, I'm not sure how fast this one flight was, this first flight was, but in training earlier in the week, because of the, the um, telemetry we have on it, we're actually able to, in a program, they're able to figure out how fast. And in one of her stoops, she hit 88 miles an hour, which is wow. just amazing. That, that is amazing. And, you know, it's just sort of funny for the Hawk fans out there. This was the very first time that this, that this tradition, that, that this occurred. Yeah. And the fact that it just went out without a hitch, I imagine you guys were probably pretty nervous um, before, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there were some butterflies um, right there, but, but you pulled it off without a hitch. And maybe if you could just sort of share um, for all of our Hawk fans out there, I, I guess maybe first, before we get into that, how frequent, like the red-tailed hawk, so to the best of our knowledge, has the university come out and really identified the hawk eye, there isn't such thing as a hawk eye, is there? Or am I wrong on that? No, the hawk eye, and that's a good, 
because I, I didn't really know. And, and do we yeah. have, like, is the hawk a red tail hawk? Like, can we figure that out as a state? Right. Yeah. If not, Iowa, we got to figure this out. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's like, is our state tree, is our state tree an oak or is it exactly a bur oak? Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And uh, so the same, you know, so Hawkeye comes from James Fenimore Cooper, Last of the Mohicans. That's where the name Hawkeye comes from. And so uh, the Burlington newspaper way back when, when they wanted to recruit people to move into Iowa and settle in Iowa, they were looking for Hawkeyes, uh, people that had that same uh, kind of, you know, adventurous spirit, apparently. So they're playing off of popular literature at the time. And, and we got known as the Hawkeye State. I mean, that's kind of a simplistic answer of how that all happened. So Hawkeye is actually not really a hawk, but obviously we've shortened it and it's let, let's go hawks. Um, so why red tails? They are by far the most common hawk in Iowa. So if you have, you know, throughout the year, uh, both nesting and during the winter, the most common hawk by far is red tail. So the red tail is kind of like something that we identify with as Iowans is, is there's our hawk. Um, you know, but if you look at, um, if you look the university, at the university does not have a position. I mean, have, have they put their thumb on the scale in terms of we, we are Iowa Hawkeyes and a Hawkeye is the red tail or are they just sort of saying, Hey, no. whatever. Yeah, whatever. That, okay. That's not really, never really came up. And one of the things, so we have the tiger Hawk. Yeah. Okay. So now we got tiger Hawk. What's a tiger Hawk? Well, there is no such thing as a tiger Hawk. But you do have that logo, which is the most recognized logo, you know, almost in all college sports, probably. And when you look at the Tiger Hawk logo, you have what's called a Malar stripe on the side here. Mm -hmm. And you actually have kind of a shortened, more falcon-like beak. So um, the Tiger Hawk, if you were to find, if you were to say there's a bird of prey that the Tiger Hawk represented, it'd be the peregrine. Um, so the peregrine falcon um, has the malar marks, got that more short falcon-like beak. It's the fastest bird of prey in the world, 200 mile an hour plus dives at its prey. Um, and formerly was known as the duck hawk. Um, so, um, so there's, you know, we will, we'll be having variety of raptor ambassadors. It won't always be necessarily red-tailed hawk. We have a good argument for, you know, um, maybe working with peregrines. Um, to serve in that role too. What is uh, the difference between a falcon and a hawk? Are they cousins or, or are they different species of bird? Like how, how does that work? Yeah, so falcons, as, as Ryan puts it, falcons are hawks, uh, but not all hawks are falcons. Okay, so it's like an LSAT question, people. If you're gonna go to law school, <laughs> listen to Dave here. Uh, you know, if you look at the original Peterson Field Guide for Hawks, on the cover of it, is a peregrine falcon and an American kestrel, uh, another falcon. So Peterson's field guide even recognizes that falcons are hawks, but then if you get inside of it, you'll see that, but not all hawks are falcons. So in hawks, they're actually, um, the, so we have in, you know, North America, the, the new world, um, we describe both the occipiter hawks and the Budio hawks is hawks. So Budios, that genus is like red-tailed hawks, red-shouldered hawks, rough-legged hawks, broadwing hawks, uh, ferruginous hawks, Swainson's hawks. I think I've named them all in, North, in the United States. And then you have the occipiter hawks, which are the northern goshawk, the cooper's hawk, and the sharp-shinned hawk. In the old world, 
these these hawks like red tails the budios are actually called buzzards and the true hawks are these occipiters so like the sparrow hawk in the in the new world or in the old world um is is an occipiter and so the difference is with the budios you have the we all know like the long broad wings of a red tail long fan-shaped tail a lot of scoring right for the occipiters short broad wings long narrow tail and they're they hunt mainly birds they're real uh, tail chasers Mm -hmm. and um, again going back to language in the old world you know buzzard was more of the use for this kind of circ you know the the budios like the red tail type that would circ the common buzzard is like a red tail of the old world um but then the sparrow hawk and goshawks would be the exhibitors the true hawks of the old world and the word hawk you know um h-a-w-k we know like the w especially like in german is a v sound right um vv volkswagen right um uh so hawk comes from the word havoc hmm. and so these exhibitors if you know an exhibitor you know that they create a lot of havoc they're just high energy and um you know it's like the hawkeye defense like the, there you go there you go pulling it all together rockney i love it <laughs> i love it yeah no it's great and so you you resuscitate this tradition you do the first live uh hawk swoop in Iowa. I don't know if it's history, but it's certainly for a long time, unless we get something from the 50s and 60s. Just tell me the response you've been getting from this. I I mean, for me, just as as a friend of yours, as someone who knows you, it's just been so cool to see you on the football field, Kinnick Stadium. What sort of response have you been getting from Greater Hawk Nation? and um, sort of what's next for the Raptors project. Because I'm sure for fundraising and education and kids, there's gonna be a lot of wonderful opportunities that are gonna arise from Hercules and what Hercules has been able to accomplish on the field for the Hawks. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because we we're, we're not social media, you know, we, we, we post some things, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, but we haven't been, we've been, we've been frankly swamped in just training. So yeah, we, we really don't have a pulse on how much, um, how much this has been um, shared or how excited people are about it. Uh, what I can say is when we're, when we're at games, very, very positive response. Um, it was, um, I haven't, I haven't even seen really great video footage of this first flight. I mean, there's, there's one, but it's kind of hard to see and you can hear the crowd. They didn't know what was coming. I mean, it wasn't announced. Um, it was simply, there was three red tailed hawk screams and then down came the bird. And, and so it was kind of a tradition that was sprung on folks in some ways. Um, and, uh, so I think, you know, we'll see over time, you know, how, how much that's, that's, uh, embraced um but one thing i can tell you is that the raptor project itself so um yeah raptor project uh our our display of birds is located at the university's mcbride nature recreation area mm-hmm. uh, which is about you know 20 minutes out of town here and um i know uh, this past week we saw there are a lot of visitors um and i just kind of ask them you know have you been here before and 
usually it's people who have been there before. But we had a lot of people like, no, I've never been here before. We've lived in the area. And well, how did you hear about it? Well, we saw we saw you guys at the football game or we read about it, you know, uh, through the through the whatever programs or what. I don't know if they've put stuff on the video board. I haven't I haven't really seen or checked, you know, how much um, uh, they've seen in, in the promotions there. But we were definitely getting people coming because they had connected it through the, the football um, experience. And so we were really excited about that because these birds can't in any way be used um, as a source of fundraising or, or, you know, selling tickets. They can't be used commercially. Legally, they can't be used commercially. There has to be a conservation message. And so um, what we're hoping, you know, through this project is that message will be heard. Um, you know, Rockney and in the both wildlife camps, I look at my own life and I had no experience until later on. And so when I was asked to start that camp program, I remember thinking, I want to give these kids an experience I never had. I want to, we want to awaken an awareness and then nurture an appreciation and then inspire action for all things wild. And so, so hands-on stuff was so critical because that's what grabbed my attention. Mm -hmm. firsthand experience i don't want to show a video i want to tell a story let's go out and see it let's go out and do it and so we're hoping that through these experiences that we'll won't just awaken awareness but we'll nurture appreciation and inspire action you know i oftentimes talk about what does that look like we've talked philosophy a little bit here you know you, you have you know ontology and and you have um epistemology and then oh you have Right. Kevin, Kevin Rice. We're going to call out our friend Kevin Riceland. He is going to love this particular. <laughs> Kevin loves it. And there's like eschatology. I have no idea what any of this means, but but yeah, no, okay. he's going to love well, it. Kevin, we okay. love it. Well, Kevin may be your friend, but he's not my friend. He's my cousin. I don't know oh. if you knew him. So I, I, like, actually, I didn't know that. He's literally your cousin. Yeah, we're distant cousins. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway, he's my friend. <laughs> Yeah, I do. But, uh, but when it comes to ethics, um, you know, how do we live on the land? And, um, you know, one of the upstairs, even here at the Big White House, we have a, a, a bird room, you know, where, where through, through nature, creation, there's so much to be learned. And one of the books we have up there is the Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. So Leopold is, you know, a Burlington native. He ended up in Wisconsin and is considered the father of, of wildlife conservation, uh, wildlife biology. Um, and he, in, the, in his book, Sand County Almanac, he talks a lot about a land ethic. You know, what does it mean to be people that live on the land in such a way? Today, we would call it sustainability or mm -hmm. there'd be other words for what that looks like. But how do we live on the land in such a way that, um, you know, we show these caretaker qualities. Pulling it back for me personally, again, I'm a university employee. I'm not a, right now that I'm not at all. Um, this isn't uh, the university espousing one worldview over another, but hopefully yeah. the university, as Sandy Boyd told me once, you know, uh, he described, you know, what's it mean to be a Christian on campus? And it's, it's not about um, uh, tolerant or tolerance because that just means i'm just putting up with you it's not about plurality because that's kind of blurring the lines where we do actually have unique differences in our worldviews but it's about faithfully living out your faith in a respectful manner with others and i i love that um so for me 
when I went to seminary and was my first semester began learning Hebrew, uh, biblical Hebrew, um, one of the cool things was um, in, in Genesis 2.15, um, there's this language of Adam, man, who was formed out of the Adama ground. So there's already an earthy connection. Um, and then kind of planted by uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, um, in the garden. And it says uh, to av- Avad Vashamer, this garden, Avad is um, to serve, literally, and Shamer is to keep or to protect. So in our university, you know, police cars, it says to serve and protect. That's Genesis 2.15 right there. Wow. And um, and so we were kind of made, you know, in the Christian worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview, we're made to serve and protect this good creation. Um, and so when I, when I think about our work, for me personally, there's a big drive of that is, you know, and I, and I share these views. I mean, I think even an atheist who cares about the earth would share these views. Like we need to serve and protect this thing and we can do that together. Um, And, uh, but for me, that's like, that's a real driver. Um, And, you know, kind of pulls it all together for me personally. It it does. And, you know, you had mentioned sustainability. I'm I'm sure you've probably heard of the concept of permaculture or regenerative agriculture, excuse me, this concept of, how do we actually mimic natural ecosystems in our agriculture in such a way that we heal and grow the earth so that we create abundance of food, of commerce, that's good for the hawks, that we, that we create these sort of ecosystems that actually generate food. One design concept from permaculture is called stacking functions, where one tree does a lot of different things. An apple tree provides fruit. It could provide food for livestock. It could provide shade. It could provide entertainment. It could provide culture. It can provide um, cider. It can provide hard cider, which can provide festivities. <laughs> it, there's a lot of things that this one thing does. And I think what you're doing with the Raptor Center, where you are doing one thing, you're, but you're inspiring people to be out in nature you are inspiring people to get out with their families or individually out to the Raptor Center. So you're, you're creating sort of a sense of place for people. You're inspiring the Hawkeye fans. You're creating a sense of wonder. You're connecting us to Last of the Mohicans. I'm gonna read that book now because <laughs> I, I had forgotten that. Yeah, James Fenacore Cooper. And islands, we're a humble people, but whenever we're feeling a little bit humble, let's just remember we are Daniel Day-Lewis. We're like, we're pretty cool. Like we are, we have some moxie. So islands, we got to do that. We got Sand County Almanac. I I was in eighth grade, and my my science teacher, Mr. Ebelsizer, got me on to Aldo Leopold. And I think now, I mean, gosh, I got to reread my Thoreau that I have on my book stand. So you're doing one thing, and you're doing so many different things. And I think tying it all up with the first thing that we talked about. You talked about your Christian faith. I'd also talked about. Jay Shetty, I believe, was a Hindu monk. I'm not positive whether it was a Hindu or Buddhist, but I just read a book called Think Like a Monk. And one of the things he talks about in that book is the concept of dharma or your passion skill, which in various faith traditions is, you know, what are you put on this earth to do? In the Christian tradition, it's called, you know, your calling. But what I love that he says in your passion skill, when you're trying to figure out, and this goes back to dad and mom Conrad, Dave, are you going to find your passion? Or are you going to do something practical? One, practical. One of the things that Shetty reminds us 
is that in order to have your passion skill, it has to serve a need, right? Mm. Or it's just a hobby. And so when we think about what our passion is, make sure that we're connecting to actually serve and need. So it's connected to what he calls with save up, which is service. And that is so much what you're doing, Dave. You are doing, you are living out your passion, your purpose. And I won't tell the university this, hopefully they're not listening. You love it so much that you would practically do it for free. I have a bet that you're gonna be involved with birds and falcons and raptors through the rest of your life. So um, for, for our friends out there that are listening to this, let, let's just sort of do a take home message. If you have a child or loved one that's really interested in Iowa Raptors, how can they get involved? Where can they go? What can they do? And then finally, a send off. What's next for Dave Conrad's and this Raptor project that you're involved in? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you haven't been to the Iowa Raptor Project, you know, come on out. Definitely spend time also in our bird blind right there. Um, you probably won't see raptors there, but you're going to see a lot of our woodland birds. Again, it's just, there's something about seeing the wildlife, like, coming right up to you. is pretty awesome. And then if you have kids, uh, we have our wildlife camps program, which are, um, each one is built on a bird of prey. So hawk camp, woodlands, falcon camp, prairies, eagle camp, wetlands, osprey camp, kind of endangered species. Um and in conservation as a whole so there's there's and it's mainly like grade school level but it's those are great um extended experiences and then one thing we didn't talk about that probably most much but most proud of is the school of the wild program so even if you can't um you know get involved with the wildlife camps every sixth grader in iowa city uh eventually spends a week with us in our school of the wild program and, um, and gets kind of the best of wildlife camps. They get a day in woodlands, wetlands, prairies, uh, birds, and then archeology. span And it's just kind of really fun to see that come together. Um, so there's lots of opportunities. Uh, we do have volunteer openings. So if you just, right now we're in transition from recreational services, which was where we were born. And now we've moved to um, the College of Education. So there's some pieces just with our website that are kind of moving around. But if you Google Iowa Raptor Project, you'll see ways to uh, to get involved, become a volunteer even. Um, and I think, you know, just feel free to reach out and, and we'll find a place for you. Oh, that's um, fabulous. So what's next then um, for Dave Conrad's and the Raptor Project? Yeah. So for the Raptor Project, you know, we, we're really because we're a um, a research and education institution at the university. So one of the things, you know, that's obviously grown is all this education. Um, you know, uh, lots of lots of groups that uh, want us to come to them or they want to come out for tours. Um, so the Raptor Project, the, we really, we're short-staffed and we need to find some extra help for Ryan and Holly because um, the training of the birds has taken up so much time. And then Ryan, being a wildlife biologist, on the side, then he's just like, okay, when can I begin doing research? So we really, because as you know, Rockney, research should drive your education. What you find in the field is what should be your education message. And we don't want to just repeat what anybody can find on the internet. We want to be able to do real research, real time here in Iowa um, that uh, can then be part of our educational message. And so uh, right now, we're we're looking at perhaps a bald eagle project, especially when it comes to lead poisoning and how we might be able to reduce lead in the environment. Um, we've begun doing some hawk migration studies uh, where we're trapping and banding migrating hawks, but that um, is still something we're developing. So there's a lot of field component, field pieces that we're working on research-wise. 
Um, and then the, the huge education point. Meanwhile, we have old facilities that we're trying to raise funds for to kind of to take the old muse is the term for a raptor cage. So we're trying to replace our old muse and then um, uh, build a, a, a new muse that's a little bit um, more friendly for the birds and for the viewer. So there's a lot of a lot of things going on. Oh, that's that's so exciting, up. Dave. Yeah. And um, and you know, sort of my own send off is first of all, thank you so much for being on. I know you got a lot of different things on your agenda, but I think in terms of Hercules, I think Hercules. Let's just wonder. He, she. I guess it's she. Hercules. This one. Yep. Yeah. She. She might be able to actually really bring our state together, because as some of our listeners know, there's there's some conflict a little bit between Des Moines and Iowa City, and even sometimes the University of Iowa. And I think. Gosh, I've always thought the University of Iowa needs to send, you know, Iowa State has Iowa State Extension. And I don't know, there doesn't seem to be, there maybe are all these programming in terms of University of Iowa Extension, but what if Hercules could be this metaphor for, hey, let's sort of share with the rest of the state. And I know there's a lot of great projects that are probably already going on that are just as awesome as the, as the Raptors project, but Boy, isn't this an awesome demonstration of using this passion project from the University of Iowa and sharing this message throughout the whole state. And I think that's going to be really exciting to see Hercules. It's going to bring us all together in the state, right? There's not going to be any more conflict. Is there, Dave? We're going to, we're going to have Hercules is going to be the message and we're going to unify around Hercules and everything is going to be good. Are, are we on well, love that? Isn't that what's going to happen? I love your optimism. I love your optimism. You know, one thing that we didn't talk about and maybe another time, but so I mentioned School of the Wild, it's gone well. So Jay Gorsh is the director of our School of the Wild program. And I believe after this next school year, we'll be in 30 different counties with School of the Wild. So we're already growing and reaching out and working with ISU Extension actually in some areas as well as county naturalists. Um, so we're really excited to see you know, going beyond Iowa City and Johnson County, but yes. really, you know, just getting it for every child who's out there, because we all know, Rockney, that it's getting so, you know, this is what we're seeing, and we're guilty ourselves, right? We're on, yep. we're, we're just not, we're looking down, we're not looking up, and um, so we're just trying to, trying to create an opportunity for every child to get that outdoor experience, because that's how we're going to get Iowans it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, but that's how we're going to get Iowans united to care about this great state that we call home. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, Will Rogers said that there's that famous phrase, I've never met a person that I haven't liked. I think that's true with me in person, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum. When you actually meet something and, and someone from a different faith tradition or a different culture or a different political party, there's something about physically... Um, meeting them that I think is so magical where sort of these all these other artificial distinctions sort of melt away and I think for Hercules to sort of be part of this you know bringing this state back together getting that education out really letting the taxpayers know where all their money is going and to be able to bring joy to other people it's such an awesome project so Dave infinite gratitude to you everything that you're doing and thank you so much for being on the Rocky Cast. We're so excited to have guests like you, and we're going to continue to have interesting, exciting guests on the Rocky Cast. I think this has been one of my best ones. So thank you so much, Dave. And uh, for friends of the Rocky Cast, 
stay tuned for additional episodes and additional things that we're doing. We're really excited about what's happening. Until next time on the Rockney Cast.